This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. Together. Welcome to the TriDot Podcast, everyone. Today is going to be a great one. We've got a doozy of a topic. We all know the feeling of pulling up your training plan for the week and realizing it's time for your assessments. In our training, it is super important to consistently benchmark our progress. An assessment week allows TriDot's optimization engine to know exactly what you are capable of as an athlete. To talk about this today, I've got two of the best minds from TriDot headquarters here to walk us through all things assessment week. First up is coach John Mayfield. John is a six-time Ironman finisher who has coached athletes to finishes at literally every Ironman in the United States. He also serves as the director of athlete services for TriDot. John, you ready to take a deep dive into assessment week today? Ready to dive. Next up in the studio is TriDot founder and CEO, Jeff Boer. Jeff is a four-time Ironman finisher who is the chief architect behind TriDot's Insight Optimization Technology. He has coached numerous professional triathletes as well as hundreds of age groupers to podium finishes as well as personal PRs. Jeff, thanks for coming on. Absolutely. This is going to be fun. And who am I? I am Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. Listen, today we're going to warm up by talking about volunteering at a race near you. Then we'll head to the main set where we talk all things assessment week and for our cool down, we'll debut a new segment called The Tridot Bookshelf. I'm always looking for a new book to dive into, and Jeff and John will give all of us a great recommendation. Lots of great stuff. Let's get to it. Time to warm up. Let's get moving. All right, guys, today's warm up question is going to take us straight out onto the Ironman race course. We all know it's super important to give back to the sport, and one of the best and most fun ways to do that is to volunteer at a race. I know both of you have done this quite a bit, so tell me this. When you're volunteering for an Ironman, what is your favorite role to serve, and what was maybe something you've done that you would not want to do again? John, I'll go to you first. So I live in Houston, Texas, so we have Ironman Texas as well as uh, 70.3 Texas in the area, so lots of opportunities to, to race and when not racing, volunteer. Uh, these days I do less racing and more volunteering, so um, we, we generally work in transition, uh, which is one of the requests from the race directors to have knowledgeable triathletes um, there. Uh, to help the athletes and kind of know what they need and, and not be in the way. Um, so uh, lots of know the ebb and flow of what's happening in transition. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think more than anything, just not, not screw up stuff and get in the way. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I would say one of the more difficult, actually the most difficult um, volunteer job I've done in the past, I actually did it a couple of years at Ironman Texas, was I was the volunteer captain for T2 Change Tent. So uh, this was back when Ironman Texas was in late May. Uh, late May in Houston is full-on summer. Um, so we spent about six or seven hours in the afternoon in the summer in a non-air-conditioned tent. Well, in T2, um, by then, the sun has come up, the course is hot. Yeah. It's yeah. humid in, in Houston already, so I imagine inside of a tent it's double humid. It was probably over 100 degrees and very <laughs> humid. It was in a, it was in a um, grass, grassy area, so very humid in there. Uh, we had athletes coming in, and you know, by the time the pros come in, um, by the time the the last cyclist barely making the cutoff comes through, it's it's a six or seven hour window. Um, so it sounds like you needed like a nutrition plan just to keep electrolytes yeah, in your yeah, body. Yeah, it was to definitely <laughs> part of part of being volunteer captain was making sure my volunteers didn't pass out from the heat and making yeah. sure they had water and food and all that kind of stuff. So um, it's it's rewarding uh, like any other volunteer shift, but uh, that was that was a lot of hard work. That was a long day. Um, my favorite thing to do in volunteering is finish line catcher, especially at, at midnight. Um, I've done that several times as, as well. So you're the ones that, uh, as those folks are coming across the finish line, they're falling into your arms and, 
Uh, you're getting to escort them through to get their medal and meet up with their family and be among the first to hear their their stories. Um, so definitely, uh, finish line catcher is a fantastic job, and I would say the best shift uh, is that that midnight finish where those folks have been out there uh, a real long time working real hard to earn that uh, that medal. No, that's super cool, Jeff. What about you? What is your your go to on course volunteer preferences? They're they're different. I've done that a lot. Um, I really like, uh, we did the, for the, the same reasons that John didn't like the T2, uh, transition, uh, volunteering. I did T1. And so it was earlier in the day and you're out of the sun. So in Texas, again, when, uh, you get to cool off earlier in the day, um, that was pretty cool getting, uh, able to see the athletes coming out of the water. A lot of them, that was the most terrorizing part. Now that's over. They get to breathe whenever they want yeah, the rest of the sure. day. And so <laughs> trying to figure out which ones are, you know, wanting to be chatty and, you know, taking their time and enjoying it. And then the other ones just staying out of their way, making sure that, you know, they're have peace of mind. Everything's taken care of. We've got their, um, their gear. We're going to take care of it and just let them, you know, encourage them. Um, so that's real fun. Um, I also like, uh, volunteering with my family, taking the kids out there and my wife, she's just super supportive. And we've done that at aid stations, um, to where, you know, when the kids were younger, we give them contest of who could pick up the most cups, you know, put them in the trash. So we're at, you know, a water station and they're doing that run around, picking up cups and just keeping them out of the way of the, the athletes. And then here most recently, uh, it's kind of like the catchers, um, it was a local race, uh, done by Dallas athletes here in the Dallas area. And they had an X 50 Olympic and a sprint. And so, uh, our junior team, I coach a junior team. And so at the end of our season after nationals, a nationally ranked junior team national at team, that we Don't, got third yeah. nation, uh, last year, our, our development team. And so taking those kids out there at the finish line, all of them finished first. And so as soon as they were done, they put on their podium shirts and, um, got a drink of water and turned <laughs> around and started passing out medals for everyone to finish for the next, you know, two, three hours. All the athletes they just beat on yeah, course. Yeah. So it's kind of funny. <laughs> they're encouraging them and they're like, you know, all the comments, the old folks and you yeah. know, old folks like me, 50, um, and just being encouraged by these kids from, you know, 13 to 18, 19 years old. So that was cool just to give them in the habit of giving back and, and develop that culture, just giving back. We have just a wonderful, uh, triathlon culture. I just love it. Everyone's encouraging and gives, you know, gives back to the, the community. Yeah. Race day volunteers are so crucial to your own race when you're out there on course. And I, I know for me, I haven't volunteered an Ironman yet. I, I, I need to. And, but I already do know this. I know exactly what position I want to try first, uh, because just from, uh, local races. Um, I have served and I love being there at the exit of the swim just to help the athletes out of the water, help them back on the dry land and, and seeing people come out, you know, some, I mean, kind of like what you just said, Jeff, they come out, they were cruising, they're flying, they're, they're on a mission into T1. They know exactly what they're doing you stay out of the and way. you stay out of the way. And some of them are so happy to right. see they a, want a high face. Fives. <laughs> yeah, they, they want <laughs> Tell high you the fives. story. They, they, they want to, they, they're so happy to get their feet back on dry lands. They're, they're reaching out for your, your arm and you're, you're the angel that just brings them back on the dry land. And, um, just, just seeing the look on people's face when they're done with that swim, they're excited to get on with the rest of the race. Um, it, it's just, uh, at local races has always been a really fun position for me. Um, I've especially done that at some of the youth races in our area. And so seeing seven, eight, nine, ten 10 year old triathletes come out of the water, just gasping for breath and a little disoriented is the most adorable thing in our sport. Like I will fight anybody who says otherwise. Um, if you, if you never served at a local youth race, um, it's very rewarding as well. So, uh, when I volunteered Ironman, that's going to be the, the spot I look for first is okay. Can I, do they need people at that? Because that would be my, my first pick to to try out so on to the main set going in three two one our main set today is brought to you by tritats whether you're a seasoned iron man or gearing up for your first local sprint try tritats will help you make your mark these tough stylish and easy to use race number tattoos make you look and feel like a pro i personally have raced countless local sprint and olympic tries where I showed up thinking I had plenty of time to settle in the transition, only to find a massive line waiting to be body marked. Switching to Tritats has allowed me to show up on race morning with my focus on the finish line, not the body marking line. If you have an Ironman race this year, their Iron Tats are made especially for you. Iron Tats body mark you for that one key race and include the all-famous MDOT logo. Friends don't let friends race with sharpied on numbers. So as a friend of the podcast, head to tritats.com and use promo code TRIDOT for 10% off your order. Again, that's tritats.com, promo code TRIDOT. As triathletes, the best way to track our progress in all three sports is to regularly test what we are capable of in the most standardized way possible. 
At TriDot, we do this regularly, and we call it Assessment Week. It seems most TriDot athletes have a love-hate relationship with the assessments. I mean, it's great to see your splits go down and your scores go up, but it does come at the cost of going all out or full send in one swim, one run, and one bike session in the same week. So whenever this important week comes across your training plan, you want to be sure to maximize the opportunity to assess your current fitness. Today, Jeff and John are here to talk us through doing just that. Guys, the assessment week serves numerous purposes for both TriDot's training software and for the athlete. Talk me through the multiple purposes of doing regular assessments. So the assessments are among the most important sessions uh, within the training phase. It's really hard to nail down uh, the most important but uh, because everyone plays their, their role. Um, but these are, are very pivotal, and they, they really um, impact um, other sessions and uh, coming weeks, coming phases. So um, the, the obvious thing that the assessments do is benchmark progress. So um, we, we do these assessments, we get the results, and then we're able to compare those um, to previous assessments and see how the athlete has, has advanced, um, where their gains have been made. Uh, but from there, there are several other things that the assessments do. Um, first, they update the TriDot score, which there are several implications to the TriDot score itself. When that TriDot score changes, um, several other things throughout um, their training are impacted by those, those TriDot scores um, as well. Another very important thing uh, that comes from the assessments is updating the athlete's intensities. So their, their paces, their heart rate zones, their power zones, uh, those change. They're dynamic. Um, and we want to make sure that the athlete is always training at the proper intensity. So I've noticed for myself, like, like in, you, you'll kind of get to a point in your day-to-day -day training where like, oh man, this swim session that used to be really hard, you know, now it's it's becoming a little bit easier to hold those prescribed paces. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, your assessment week comes around and you find out, oh, I have new zones. And, and that's pretty typical. As you as you work your way through a, a mesocycle, um, you get fitter, more fit. Um, and so those intensities aren't as taxing as they were. Um, so you do an assessment, you have new intensities, and those first week, uh, it takes them getting used to those, yep. those new intensities. And that's all part of, of adaptation. Um, and every TriDot session is prescribed with a very specific purpose, looking to achieve a very specific training stress. And we achieve that by a certain time at a certain intensity. So it's important that those intensities are specific to each athlete and their current fitness level. So um, updating the, the intensity is, is, uh, is very important. Um, I also mentioned that every session is prescribed to fulfill a very specific purpose. And um, even the assessments are, are the same. They are uh, achieving a very specific training adaptation. And then finally, the assessments uh, teach the athlete how to push themselves. So this is a skill that is, is very necessary on race day, um, especially for those racing short course races. This is going to be very close to what they're going to experience out on the race course. And that is an acquired skill. Um, you don't just naturally show up to your first race and know how to maximize your potential, how to push your body to its limit. Um, so this is an opportunity for these athletes to dial in that skill um, on a regular basis so that when race day comes around, they will know exactly how and what it feels like to push their body. They know what when, they're when, capable of. When the effort of. picks up, the heart rate picks up, the intensity picks up to know that you know, your body starts hurting. Like I and can, they have I confidence. Can, and I they can push know. through this. Absolutely. They've been there before. They've experienced it. And they know as soon as they cross the finish line, it's it's all better. But if you put two people against each other and, and one has been pushing themselves and testing themselves and dialing in their race um, ability, the race strategy, and someone else that's just been uh, doing low-intensity training for the last six months, I guarantee you that person that's dialed in that skill is going to win, even if they have comparable fitness. So does every athlete do the same assessment, or does it – what we actually do in that session differ from athlete to athlete? Well, it'll, it'll differ some from athlete to athlete. Sometimes on the swim, you know, it's a short course, long course, meters, yards, pool. So they're slightly different there. Um, but that's the most standardized, uh, the 400, 200, the, um, on the bike, some people have power meters and can do it on a smart trainer. Uh, other people are outdoors doing a 15 mile or 25 mile. So there's differences in the, the facility or the equipment available. Obviously the most consistent, uh, method, uh, to do the train to do the assessments is best so the most controlled environment and the one that you can replicate most often is easy um some do it different on the the 5k or a 10k run so it, de it depends on the athlete's fitness 
Uh, whenever we're doing anything, we've talked about this before, when we're prescribing training, it's not about a distance, it's about an intensity level for a certain amount of time. So if you have an intensity level, which we're shooting for a threshold effort, and we're trying to extrapolate what that is, if an athlete's running a 50 minute 5k, that's not a good, they're, they're not in there at their threshold. You know, they're going to be in a different energy system than someone that runs a 20 minute 5k. So a 20 minute 5k for someone that does it in 20 versus 50 is very different. And so we'll have, you know, the faster athletes under 45 minute 10k, they can do the 10k as their assessment. Um, but for everyone else, it's a 5k. Uh, so there's some difference, but we try to keep it. There are, you know, preferred uh, assessments that are more accurate and then more easily repeatable. So with so many different, you know, places to train, you know, you, you, uh, you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, I, I can do my run assessment at the track. I can do it, you know, uh, uh, through the park down the road, um, the, the bike assessment, some people can do them inside on, on a platform like Zwift or just with their power meter indoors. Some people can go outside and ride a 15 minute time trial. Is, is there maybe a best method to ensure the accuracy? So the, the best way to set up accuracy is to be consistent. Um, as you mentioned, it's, it's repeating um, the same conditions, uh, assessment to assessment as, as best you can, and that's going to allow us to, to draw meaningful conclusions um, simply because the, the course is the same, the environment is going to be similar, um, and when the environment is different, we can, we can account for that. Um, so consistency is, is important. So um, best case is same pool, um, same methodology for your bike assessment. If you're going out and doing the 15 mile or 25 K, uh, bike assessment, do the same route, um, over and over so that you have similar elevation, um, profile, uh, so the course is the same and then, then similar on the run. Um, a track is, is great because it's, it's a known distance. There's, um, it's flat. There's no traffic. Um, that sort of thing. So it's great for checking your pace every 400. So yeah. So you can dial it in. Um, and that's going to allow you to have, uh, that consistency month over month. So you can really see, you can know what, um, if you do a different track, for example, or not a different track, but a different route, um, there's going to be a certain variability of that that is going to be attributed to the different course. So one course may be faster than and another. And how well you know that course. Right. Yeah. Um, how many turns does it have? Is it a net uphill? Is it a net downhill? Um, things like that. How much elevation gain is there um, on the course? That's going to impact the the assessment. And that's what we don't want. We don't. We want to minimize that. We want to get to as much, what is the fitness um, of that? Um, so control the environment, repeat the environment, um, as, as best you can. And then accuracy is, is critical. So, uh, we mentioned before that, uh, these results impact the training that is prescribed. They establish the training intensities. Um, so they're, they're very important to the individualized training. Um, so accuracy is, is paramount. Uh, it comes into the, the garbage in, garbage out. So if we have bad data, uh, bad information, or if it's stale data, if it's outdated, um, it's not going to be as, as high quality. So all this is going to impact the training plan. So it's always important to have accurate data and current data so that all these other things can be, um, be accurate as well. Yeah, I think I'd add to that. Um, we do it, that the athletes should do everything that they can to make it as accurate as possible, as consistent as possible. But if stuff happens, then don't stress about it. We do a lot of stuff on our end to normalize and to, you know, parse the data and take different things into account to normalize it. So yes, you know, the more accurate it can be, the better, but Cause, it's, cause even on the same loop, if you're cycling the same, yeah. you know, the same 15 mile loop, I mean, the, 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 the weather, the environment that there, there's a ton of different factors that could be slightly different, even on the same, the Correct. same track. Correct. We take care of some of that, but wind, um, stopping a, a light traffic dog runs out in front of you. There's a lot of things, you know, so if you can't control it, just go with it. You know, it's the consistency over time and as accurate as you can, uh, is just the best way to and do the it. implications of those are going to be small. Right. Um, and so, you know, over a 15 mile time trial, if, yeah, if you slow down for a car, obviously we want to be safe. Um, slowing down for that car to pass or whatever, isn't going to have a material effect, um, yes, liability disclaimer, always slow down for cars <laughs> if there's a safety issue. Stop at the stoplights and that sort of thing. And that's part of it, too, is, is selecting the course where um, you, you minimize those, those things. Those risks. Stop signs, stoplight, traffic. Um, you know, it's do the best you can. Find the best route yeah. possible. I'd rather find a boring route that's safe that you can repeat than a cooler, easier to get to route that's yeah. dangerous. So, so we, when an athlete heads into an assessment, I mean, the, these, are, these are hard efforts. Um, you know, for the swim, bike, and run, you know, we're really pushing ourselves in these sessions. And, and so 
we could do a whole podcast and we probably will on on how to pace you know yourself when you're racing and how to pace yourself in in hard sessions but but for these assessments in particular john what is kind of the best strategy for an athlete to pace themselves um to try to get the most out of their potential so the purpose of the assessment is a all-out effort what is the the fastest we can achieve um these distances, or if it's a 20 minute power test, what is the maximum power you can sustain for that 20 minute period? So it is a all out best effort. Um, so there, there are a couple ways that you can set yourself up for success in that. Um, first thing I always recommend is having a plan. Um, especially, um, as you, as you go into, um, the, the bike and the run, um, have know exactly where you are. Look at your previous assessments. Know what you think you're capable of, and then set yourself up for that. So, um, if it's a power test, um, what was your average power the previous time? So now you're fitter than you were before, so you can push a little bit more. Um, I always recommend a negative split. That's going to help um, produce a, a better result. So it's starting, starting a little bit easier, starting and, conservative, and, and then build throughout. So your lowest power should be the first couple minutes. Your highest power should be the last couple minutes, and um, same thing with your 5k it's your slowest pace um it's maybe that first mile your fastest mile is that that third mile and not by uh, much just a right bit, yeah. so like on a on a 5k maybe it's it's 10 seconds per mile slower and then you build throughout um it's going to hold back a little bit of energy it's going to um help pass the the time so to speak because it's you're starting off a little easier uh, it's going to shorten the time that you're going just all out um and it's really going to allow you to to gauge your your energy level, your ability. How hard can you push in those last few minutes? Um, and that's that's what's going to help produce um, those best results. But um, as I mentioned before, it really is an acquired skill. So um, you're not just going to show up to your first assessment and know how to absolutely 100% nail it. Um, but when we do these month after month on a regular basis, um, that skill will come, and you will dial in your ability to to go out and nail. Um, these assessments. So it's going to, it's, it's a combination of, of fitness and execution, but that's what we're going to rely on on race day as well. You can have all the fitness in the world, but if you execute poorly, you're not going to have your best race. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's about learning how to race. It's maximizing your fitness and putting those two things together. So, um, and then you have the intangible of it as well. As you're going out there, you're pushing your body, um, you're learning what it feels like to um, push to that that quote unquote pain area, um, and it's it's you're you're building that grit factor that is going to be extremely valuable on race day because at some point, racing becomes difficult, and uh, that's that's kind of one of the things that people love about the sport is uh, that sensation we don't particularly uh, experience elsewhere. Um, so the more uh, you can learn how to push your body and learn um, that grit factor. Uh, these are things well beyond uh, the, the initial benchmarking and all those things that we talked about. So again, there are a whole lot of things that we accomplish through these ongoing assessments. Yeah, and you don't you don't even as an athlete in every single training session get to practice that grit factor. You know, so to have you know a regular session like this where you're going to that place of pushing yourself and seeing what your body can do is really, really valuable. I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take just a second and humble brag, uh, on myself. I had my assessments last week and, and, um, I, I had a 10 K run assessment and it was probably the best I have ever negative split a 10 K and, nice. and I, I'm, I'm going to be candid. It, it's not because of my incredible ability to pace myself on the run. Um, I got people listening right now. I'm looking at the founder and, and essentially lead coach of TriDot and admitting I skipped my assessments for a month or so. And, um, and so I think going into that session, knowing, okay, I haven't pushed myself on a 10 K in a couple months. Uh, I think I was a little scared of it. I was a little intimidated. And so I wanted to hold back, you know, just, okay, I, I want to make sure I don't push myself too, too hard, too quickly. And I ended up really pacing it quite well because I, I did exactly what you said. I, I held back on the first mile, you know, I, I was able to pick up the pace through the middle four miles and then, and then kick a little bit at the end. So, um, just, just that's, that's my humble brag for today. <laughs> well done. Uh, if we recorded this episode a month from now, I might not be able to say the same thing, but on that particular 10 K it went really, really well. Um, and I was pleased with the results. So, um, people strive for the negative split. It's not always, you don't always nail it, but, um, the more you practice nailing that in your assessments, the, the more ready you're going to be to nail that negative split on race day. 
That's also going to prevent you from blowing up. That's something else athletes will, will do is they go out too hard too early, and that's not going to produce an accurate result. If you're 15 minutes into a 20-minute power test and all of a sudden your power drops significantly, that's that's not good data. That average 20-minute is, is not going to be your true 20-minute max power. Um, so that negative split is also going to help prevent that blowing up because you don't want to go out too hard too soon it's save that for the back end yeah the more you do and the more consistent you are you dial that in that perception so your negative splitting gets more and more um smaller you know and you dial in that ability but up front it's it's way more valuable yeah so after completing an assessment you know the athlete will then need to submit their results into the assessments portion of the tryout interface uh what information do they need to input for each sport so for the swim, it's their time. That's the uh, CSS test. It's a 400 for time, 200 for time. Um, so that's it. Just what is what are your times for the 400 and the 200? Um, moving on to the bike, it depends on which test you're doing. The 20-minute power test for those that uh, have a power meter or smart trainer where they're able to, to track their power. Uh, we're looking for average power for the 20-minute segment and average heart rate for that same 20-minute so segment. Not average segment. over the whole session, but right. average for that just one 20-minute 20 20 block. Just the 20-minute segment. Um, and then for the run, it is time and average heart rate for the distance. So then what happens is that information is utilized to um, determine thresholds. So um, these are threshold paces for the, for the swim and the run, uh, also threshold heart rate for the bike and run, and then threshold power uh, for the bike. And this information is then used to establish each individual's training zones. So for the swim, there are individual paces. For the bike, uh, there are heart rate zones and power zones for those that have power. For the run, there are um, paces and heart rate zones um, as well. So those are established for each individual and then updated each time these, these assessments are done. Um, and then that information is also used in the RaceX um, pacing guide. So this is where race day pacing comes from. So another reason it's very important to have current information is your pacing on race day is going to be based on your most recent assessment. If you're not regularly updating that assessment, you're not going to have a very accurate RaceX recommendation. Correct. So, so John, I think there's a lot of athletes that are like me. I, I For the bike, I do my assessment indoors, right? It's just a controlled environment. It's going to be the same every time. I'm not dealing with cars and roads and traffic and stoplights and, and, and you know and heat and weather. Um, so, I, so I always do it indoors. And a ton of athletes do their assessment just like that, inside on their trainer. And, and the platforms that we're using to do those 20-minute power tests indoors, you know, the, the, there's already built-in algorithms. There's already things that say, oh, you know, you put out this much power for 20 minutes, and so let's take 95% of that, and that's, that's your FTP. And, and we're given that FTP number. Now, that FTP number isn't the number we're supposed to be putting in to TriDot. We want to put in the raw average power that we produce for those 20 minutes. So, so tell me a little bit why TriDot doesn't use the FTP number most platforms kind of spit out. So all those platforms, and, and there's, there's a lot of different ones, and they use different calculations, but that's exactly what it is. It's a generic calculation. It's uh, common to apply uh, 95% or something like that to that 20-minute average power to estimate a, a functional threshold power number, um, where it's one of those things where when we apply it across the board to everyone, it's not accurate to anybody. Um, so what we're able to do with that 20 minute power is qualify that for each individual athlete and then take into consideration, uh, numerous factors that are specific to that individual so that we can now determine a very accurate functional threshold power. And really the difference is oftentimes, um, athletes aren't really using their functional threshold power. Um, it's, it's a bragging right. Uh, but really doesn't impact their yeah, training. Look from at my there. FTP. Exactly. Look you know, at how something strong that they, my legs are. How much do you bench? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, as we mentioned before, that functional threshold power is is a, a key metric that goes into establishing um, establishing athletes' training, their training zones, their race day pacing. It is actually used in numerous ways throughout their training and racing. So accuracy of that individual's functional threshold power is actually a, a very important piece of data. So again, it goes back to um, that data needs to be accurate. It needs to be accurate to that individual. So just applying a blanket generic percentage to a 20-minute power is not the, the proper way to establish yeah. an accurate functional threshold power um, number. So um, 
um, that's that's where we'll see the difference. And you know, um, a, a broken clock is right twice a day, kind of a thing, where uh, an athlete might have a very close FTP um, in Tridot compared to what what's spit out by by the platform. Um, but if it's not the same, if it's if it's off by a certain amount, um, it's because one was most likely created through just a generic estimated made up percentage and the other is actually created based on that individual's makeup and their their data so after completing an assessment uh, an athlete's swim dot bike dot and run dot numbers uh, will, will then increase or decrease depending on the results of the assessment um, Jeff you know talk us through what those three try dot numbers mean for the athlete all right so so up to this point we've been talking about benchmarking um, and for a lot of people who have been training and racing a while, it may so all this may sound familiar. Yeah. Benchmark, make progress over time. Well, here's where we start to really differentiate, uh, and use this data differently. Uh, first of all, the, the swim, bike and run dot scores, they're a scale from one to a hundred of ability where one is a pace or a power, uh, that is, you know, barely qualifies for that discipline. You're barely moving. Uh, you're, you know, you're not running your little bit more than walking, jogging, and then all the way up to hundred, which would be world-class effort for whatever that discipline and distance uh, would be. And then is the same bell curve you'd expect to see in the middle where 50 be in the middle. So one of the things is the, um, the correlation between the two over years, the origin actually of, of TriDot of the, of that standard was from Jack Daniels. And no, not drinking too much, getting drunk and having a, <laughs> a, a bright idea. But Jack Daniels, the famous running coach, was amazing. I saw him uh, at a symposium one time, got introduced to his uh, his work, what he'd done. He, I read his book. It's just wonderful stuff. It's a very methodical approach to running where he was looking at the differences in ability. And, uh, you know, some people's um, threshold pace was impacted most by their um, aerobic efficiency or running efficiency, their mechanics and others, their VO2 max. So their aerobic potential. And so he came up with a number that took both of those into account. Okay, whatever reason, however good you excel at one and not so much at the other, there is this pace at which is your you know, functional threshold. So it was your velocity at VO2 max. So that's the V dot, uh, velocity at VO2 max. And so he had a- So he called it, the, that number was v -dot. your V dot. Your okay. V dot. And so that was just from you know statistics. And so he had a scale that was 35 or 30 to 85 was his range of these times. And so was, he was working with a lot of great athletes, elite athletes. And so it didn't encompass all of the abilities. And so um, what I did from that is I said, that's a great approach to doing this. And so to apply it to triathlon, uh, first of all, we extended it, you know, from one to a hundred. And so athletes kind of sense that, that scale one to a hundred kind of like school we're, we're, we're used to that scale yeah. our whole lives, right? Yeah. And then extending it um, to abilities below that, which he would measure working with elite athletes and then converting the run piece, not only to the run assessments, which are, you know, standalone efforts, but to off the bike runs and then correlating those scales. So the swim, bike, and run dot all correspond to a similar ability. So a, a 60, you know, would be the same point on that bell curve uh, for the swim as a 60 on the bike as a 60 on the run. Okay, gotcha. So it becomes this absolute standard, a ruler by so, which So it really helps effort. you know where you're at in, in relation to the field of the sport. Absolutely. So it, it, it has some value to that. The biggest value is not to the field and to everyone else, um, but it's to yourself. So that interdisciplinary... Uh, evaluation comparison. If you're trying to improve, let's say, uh, in the bike or the run, first of all, we're able to assess it better because if, you know, one athlete has a higher, like a 60 on the bike and a 50 on the run, if that athlete is great body composition, then we can conclude that they need to, or they can improve more on the run than the bike because there's more room for improvement. And that's going to benefit them more overall as a triathlete. Correct. Got but it. if that same 60 on the bike and 50 on the run is from, let's say, a 50-year-old athlete like me, maybe weighs 220 pounds, like maybe someone I know, uh, <laughs> You know, then they're going to have the mechanical advantage uh, of the bike. And so they, I should perform better on the bike. And so that's not a fitness. That's not a physiological opportunity for improvement on the run. I'm carrying body weight. And so a lot of my energy is spent carrying the body weight. And so we're able to look at different athletes differently with different, you know, than doing different the sport for longer, their sport age is longer, their body composition is different, a whole number of factors. Maybe uh, their position on the bike um, is more upright. And so they're pushing a lot of drag. So their bike dot may be lower, but it's not because their fitness is lower. It's because they have an upright position due to lack of mobility or, you know, road helmet or, you know, who knows what, a lot of things could in, uh, impact 
the, the pace at which they could go for so, 50 so your, miles. So your tried out numbers aren't just generated by your assessment. They're generated by a whole lot of factors. A whole lot of other factors, right. And, and that makes it, if you don't do those things, then you can't correlate and compare apples to apples outcomes of training because your base assessment is not right. And first of all, before even the assessment's not right, the prescription's not right. So if you can't prescribe right and you can't have an expectation that's accurate, then you can't measure the assessment of that, uh, yeah. you know, the results. So it's, this is a ripple effect. So it gives us both the absolute value and then the relative value. And we use that relative value in a whole number of things when we're uh, determining, you know, where to, where the training emphasis should be, how much improvement is there, how much do we expect to realize, you know, and how well the, uh, the athlete is doing over time. Got it. So as we do these time trials throughout the year and, and assess kind of where, where we're at, um, you know, things like the weather and altitude and time of day, you know, they, they can impact how well we can put forth our best effort. Um, how does try out factor these into our results? We have a environment normalization uh, technology that we've been working on for many years, probably eight or nine years now since we implemented that. But that we noticed that there was one, a training myth um, that was long, slow distance. It was a lot of people had this perception that, uh, running more long course tra marathon training. They just said marathon training. I'm faster when I do marathon training. And so they saw this correlation of their fastest times of the year were during the winter months when they train for marathon. Therefore, long, slow runs makes me faster. You know, and then I get slower during triathlon season when I might shorten that stuff down. Maybe you're doing Olympics or halves. Um, and so they made that correlation and that long, slow distance. That was one of the reasons. There's a lot of reasons um, that that became uh, prevalent. Um, but it was more of a correlation between the weather in the winter, the winter's cooler, and so your run times are better. Yeah. Um, and you may back off some of the other things, so you're spending more time running, less uh, training intensity, you know, is, is spent on the bike and the other. So we have an environment normalization technology that takes into account temperature, elevation, and humidity. So for athletes that are even changing the, the time of day of their workout, you know, they get up in the morning, it might be, you know, 50 degrees. If they do the same workout that afternoon, it uh, might be 75 degrees. The humidity will change. Uh, so we actually prescribe training differently based on that. You'll see your, you know, you try to work out change. The intensities will change based on the time of day. If it's three in the afternoon and it's 80 degrees outside, but you do it inside, it'll change. So it knows what that environment is. It gets it from the data. So in a prescriptive manner, we use environment normalization, but also in a uh, diagnostic in assessments, uh, as that data comes back in, we parse it and make those adjustments so that we're making sure that we're, you know, taking that into account on a environmental equivalent basis. And so environment normalization really helps standardize your assessment results. If you do the, your assessment in July versus your assessment in December, the environment normalization will show you kind of how those are relative Correct. to each other. And so that's environment normalized before it gets to your assigned um, swim, bike, or run dot. So once we've done those assessments and, and it's been it's been normalized, um, how do those assessments then impact our future training sessions? So uh, the, the implications really filter through everything because um, the assessments are going to update those trot-out scores. Those trot-out scores factor into almost everything uh, within trot-out, all of the, the calculations and, and all the things that go into determining um, training phases, training, um, training plan, uh, long sessions, uh, individual sessions. All that can really come back to data that is derived through these ongoing assessments. So uh, they really touch everything within within an athlete's training, going back to emphasizing how important it is to to have good, current, accurate data for these. So, um, for example, one of the things um, that we can see a change is in the bike-to-run factor. So this is a feature that allocates training resources. The B2R. B2R. Um, how do we address um, bike and run? How do we know where we want to focus training resources for the overall um biggest gains and and try dot score is one of the main factors in that so as assessments drive try dot scores that's going to uh, have an implication to to bike to run factor um as I mentioned, the individual sets. So oftentimes, um, if we have a distance-based set, that's actually based on amount of time that the athlete is going to spend to achieve that distance. So um, as they get faster or stronger, they're going to cover a given distance in less time. So that uh, that's going to be an implication in what uh, which which sets are prescribed to the athlete, so that they can distance is derived from duration. So you have to know the duration first. So your body knows not how much ground you're covering 
but intensity and how long you're holding that intensity. So the distance is derived from duration. So usually in your training sessions, that's why you always see intervals prescribed in minutes, usually, right? It's it's, it's that's hold, preferred. Hold this effort at this many minutes, and however much ground you cover is really irrelevant. Right. And that's why you see if you have a difference in your run dot, for example, uh, one athlete might have, you know, six minutes or uh, for the efforts or a 1,400. Some one might have a 1,600, one might have a 1,200 because it's how long, how far should you cover at that, at that, that intensity, at that pace for that duration. And so there's sweet spots physiologically for at that intensity, we want you to hold it. You have to hold it at least four minutes, but not more than six, not much more than six. You know, there's that sweet spot of how many intervals you're going to get. So, so it is it is on the run, but predominantly on the swim. So, um, again, we're looking for periods of time at particular intensity levels, but we don't have a good metric for uh, distance. Uh, excuse me, time on the swim. So everything is is distance based. So two athletes may may both need uh, four minutes at a particular pace, and it may take one athlete. 200 yards to do the four minutes and it may take another athlete 300 yards and then another implication is is your long sessions so uh your tried out scores uh factor into your predicted splits your predicted splits determine how long your long sessions are so if we know you're going to be spending x hours on the bike on race day uh we're going to uh that's going to be reflected in your training so as your um assessments improve that's going to be indicative of a faster split means less time out on the race course, which in turn so means less time, less time in, long session. in training. Yeah. So, um, these, these assessments filter deep, uh, really, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm so motivated to, to improve my bike split, mm -hmm. uh, for my upcoming Ironman. Absolutely. Um, not so that my end time will be faster, but so that my, my mm -hmm. butt bones mm -hmm. will not have to sit on my saddle as long. Like, like, get me off the bike as fast as possible. Yeah, race day is one out, thing, but uh, yeah, we don't want to do any more training than we have to. Definitely not on those long sessions. So what, one thing I frequently see from athletes uh, it, when they talk about the assessments is that, that sometimes, you know, you're, you're approaching that week where you're supposed to get them done. You see it coming up on your training calendar. And, and with life events, work events, uh, maybe, maybe even a minor injury, uh, sometimes we reach that week and it's just not an ideal time for me to crank out those assessments. Should I postpone them a week or so, or, or is it just best to let it pass and wait until the next month? You don't want to wait. Um, you know, if you're not, it depends on how much impact your training schedule has. If you're like missing an entire week and you only have enough time to do one session, we'll do that session. Do that one. If you're pretty much, you just missed that one session, but you're doing most of the others, then just find the next comparable session. The next session that's about an hour with a lot of intensity in it, a lot of quality in it, and then just replace it. Do the assessment in place of that other session. And then it's giving you a, approximately the same training value. Uh, you know, if it's three by 12 at threshold, just do your 20 minute threshold test. Uh, okay. So it's kind of a, uh, either, or if you're missing a ton of training, don't wait till the next week. And if you can get one session in, just do the session. Uh, if you can't do what, you know, do what you need to do, uh, to get those sessions in during that week. So John, depending on their weekly training schedule, sometimes athletes talk about how th their schedule might give them a hard session the day before an assessment. Will this hard session detract from their results the following day? They shouldn't. And oftentimes the question is, I have assessments back to back. Um, so for the athlete that's been consistently training, these uh, assessments are not uh, particularly different um, in in training stress and training load from the training they've been doing in previous weeks. So, for example, um, the swim is is it's six hundred yards, six hundred meters. Um, I mean, to, to me, it's the easiest swim session you know, in my month. <laughs> yeah. So you're obviously every swim session is at least 600. You include the warm up and all that, call it a thousand. Um, there's really not any swim session shorter than a thousand. Yeah. Um, and even to do 600, uh, yards or 600 meters of, of high intensity in the swim, um, not a, a large implication to that. You can recover from that, uh, quite quickly, but even as we move on to the bike and run, uh, say you're doing the 20 minute power test, you're, you have a very high likelihood of, of really every week, um, having multiple sessions that have at least 20 minutes of, of high intensity included you're, you're in them. You're just used to a few minutes, you know, in zone yeah, two be, in between. It may be two yeah. by 10, it may be three by eight, whatever the case may be, but it, it's at least 20 minutes oftentimes. Yeah. Um, so it's not significantly different. And then, and then same thing on the run, doing that 5K. Uh, chances are you've got 
give or take three miles, uh, five kilometers of, of quality work in those in those sessions as well. And they're they're not so long, they're not so arduous that it's going to take multiple days to to recover from those. And if there is any lingering fatigue, uh, it's it's going to be minimal. Um, it's not really going to impact uh, the results, and certainly not to a degree that uh, would would lessen the the accuracy of those. Um, you have less training that week anyway. Right. So it's almost like a mini taper week um, where uh, there's there's less intensity, less duration oftentimes, uh, especially if you're in a long course phase, you're going to see the volume drop um, on that week. Um, and, and like I said, the intensity will be done as well. So there are opportunities for um, some recovery, again, kind of almost like a mini taper that is going to set you up for success um, in these. So uh, an athlete should, should be able to uh, highly execute these um, even if they if they were back to back um, and then the implication of, of spacing them out further would be the opportunity cost of, of how does that impact other training so um, we're doing three assessments in seven days uh, so there, there's that's plenty of time plenty of spacing but if we did more if we had to spread those over 10 to 14 days there's there's further implications um, to that and would really impact training from there so um, three hard days in within a, a seven day week is is completely feasible um and, yeah, I, I and still going to produce good results i gotta say for myself that there was one one 5k assessment that i was entering uh that that sunday when i was supposed to do it and, and i was tired we had a lot going on that weekend i'd had my my workouts and and uh it, it was in the summer so it's hot outside and so that plays in your mind like oh, i gotta do the, go to this 5k while it's warm outside and and i i, I facebook messaged my coach ryan tibble and i was like hey man like i've got this 5k like i really don't think it's going to go well and he was like, like, you might surprise yourself. Like, like, don't go into it with a negative attitude because you, you're, you're probably going to surprise yourself. You're probably going to do better than you think. And I'm like, bro, I'm not going to do better than I think. I PR'd my 5K in 80 degrees, you know, 8 o'clock at night, Texas, you know, summer heat uh, on a day where I was tired and felt like I was not going to have a good 5K. I PR, not, not even environment normalization PR, like straight up PR'd my 5K on a day where I didn't expect to. And so I think there is some grounds to just like Ryan, my coach told me, like, you, you might surprise yourself. You, Absolutely, you, you yeah. might shock yourself with what your body's capable of on, on the day. Um, so, so many athletes, you know, they, they do their assessment and, and they, they see their numbers changing from month to month. They see the, the slight improvement as those tried out numbers go up and, and they're wondering to themselves, did I do good? You know, how am I, you know, doing compared to other people? Am I, am I improving quickly? Am I improving at a normal rate? Am I barely improving? So, so tell me this, Jeff, what numerical improvement should athletes expect to see from month to month? Well, it's hard to say, obviously, because it. Uh, I think that's an answer that you might have expected to hear. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from athlete to athlete, so age plays a factor, genetics plays a factor, um, how consistently they've been training. Um, if we we try to use or we do use the the trainix score, that that's the biggest deal uh, to to be consistent. So you want to hit those, you know, seventy or above weekly. Uh, train X 60s average. Um, so just the better that you can do, the more consistently you can do the right training, right, the better you're going to do. Um, so it gets really hard. One, it, there's two reasons that we don't, um, publish that or make that accessible is one. It, it really varies quite a bit, um, between the athletes. We know what and why, but it can be, uh, discouraging, uh, just from something you can't control like genetics, uh, life gets in the way. Um, so just focus. We try to just Focus on what you can do. Focus on what your schedule allows, your priority, uh, what your you know God-given ability is, and do the best with that. So you just want to see consistent progress uh, over time, and just focus on every day what you can control today. Forget about what happened yesterday. Um, you know, celebrate the successes for sure, but then just drive on. So there's going to be a lot too, depending on where the athlete is starting from. Is a athlete that is has a low fitness level, they're going to have meteoric rise. They're going to see big gains every assessment for the first several um, several assessments. The athlete that comes in with a already having a high level of fitness, those gains are going to be much more incremental. Uh, there's not as much low-hanging fruit. Um, so that rate is going to be different as well. And it also depends on uh, what phase the athlete is in. Whereas if an athlete is in a development mm -hmm. phase where they're able to focus on building functional threshold, building power and speed, uh, they're going to have a, a, a higher likelihood of, of seeing um, bigger gains than the athlete that's in, say, an Ironman race prep phase yeah. where the focus is stamina. Yeah, they're not building uh, their functional threshold or not as significantly because you can only really focus on one effectively at a time. So, you know, they may see uh, a plateau or a, a slowdown in their improvement 
on the FTP, for example, during that buildup race prep. It's because the focus of their season at that time is just stamina. a little bit different. Yeah, so they're building the capacity to hold a percent of that FTP for a longer and longer period of time. And so they're seeing the gain there. So if they're focused on um, my FTP is not going up or if they're focused only on my stamina or only how long is my long run, it, it depends on what the purpose and what the goal is um, during that mesocycle. And then it can be different from from phase to phase. So you may be going after, you know, the optimization may have you improving um, differently in the different disciplines. You may be building stamina in one and FTP in the other, depending on what your needs are and the needs of that race day are. John, it reminds me a little bit of, um, if, if you remember the TV show, uh, The Biggest Loser from, from you know, a, a five, six, seven years ago. Mm-hmm. That was a huge TV show for a little while. and A huge TV show. Yeah, and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, puns. Uh, so, so someone would come on that show, you know, a guy would come on that show weighing 350 pounds. He dropped 20 pounds in the first he week. He dropped 20 pounds a week for like three, four weeks. And then all of a sudden, as, the, as he would get fitter and fitter, you know, those pounds would be 10 pounds a week and right. eight pounds a week yeah. and four pounds a week. And it, it wasn't Diminishing that he, returns. Yeah. Sure. It wasn't that he wasn't putting in the work that he was mm-hmm. putting in, in the beginning. It's just that, okay, now you have less weight to lose. Right. So if you're, you know, new to the sport of triathlon, even if you're fit, you mm-hmm. know, you're new to the sport, you're going to see those bigger gains right away. That's somebody who's maybe a little bit higher and up on the scale. Oftentimes folks will come, uh, from, from a years of triathlon experience, but now they're, they're experiencing Tridots optimized training and all of a sudden, uh, just training right, as Jeff mentioned, doing the right training right yeah. has, has those, had those numerous, same implications. I mean, not numerous, beyond numerous, whatever, a bigger number, just numerous dozens sir. and dozens and dozens, numerous are um, athletes that have been doing triathlons for 15, 20 years. And is just a common con, you know, it's most noticeable for, for people in their sixties. And they're saying, I'm in my sixties. I've been doing this for 20 years and I'm faster than I was when I was in my forties. Wow. 40s. That was just a common thing because it's that age. They were, they know they're disciplined. Um, you know, this is a long enough time where when they're in their forties, they still remember their PRs, all that kind of stuff. They're 60. They're, they're still competitive. They're PR in their sixties. They are, <laughs> you know, over what they did in their forties. And that's just really cool to see. That's incredible. John, t- tell me this as just as a coach, you know, when your athletes consistently put in the work, they do their day-to-day training, they keep up with their assessments. Uh, what difference does that make in the results on race day? So it's one of those things um, where it's it's not necessarily a causation, but definitely a correlation. And uh, the athletes that that train consistently, as, as Jeff said, consistently do the right training right. And part of that is completing and, and updating these assessments. Um, that, that shows on race day. In fact, I would say there's also a very high correlation in the high-performance athletes. Um, if you went in and looked at their assessment history, they are very consistent um, in completing these. Uh, whereas you could, um, I, I think with a pretty high certainty, I could look at, um, just the, the dates of assessments and tell you whether that athlete is a, as a elite high performer athlete or maybe a mid to, to lower pack. And, and there's just, there seems to be a strong correlation. Um, now that doesn't mean that, uh, that's, that's always the case, but, um, for those that are doing these assessments on a regular basis, uh, there, there just seems to be a very strong correlation of those that, that make the gains and end up, um, cause that person's probably also doing their, their day-to-day work. They're doing the right training, right. Yeah. Um, as well. And this is just kind of a byproduct of that. So again, it's not necessarily causation, but I think there is a correlation there, uh, between it. So for an athlete, uh, Jeff, who, who maybe knows his or her assessment hasn't changed that much from the last assessment, maybe they missed some training sessions, uh, you know, maybe life got in the way just a little bit and, and they just kind of can, can feel internally. Okay. My fitness is at a relative place to where it was last month. Is it still valuable to complete that assessment or can they just keep moving forward with the zones they have? Well, there's, there's other values. I'm going to address that in a couple of ways. One, to answer your question, there is training value in that. When we prescribe the training, we're expecting a certain amount of time at threshold. So every time, you know, from the week prior, you've done your workout, then there's a half-life, you adapt, and then that fades as you, you detrain as you don't perform at a certain level. So there's a training value. You want to keep that performance level up. You want to have those minutes uh, in those zones at that level. And we're counting on that. And your, your training in the future is going to be based on that. So that's, that's one to keep conscious about that. Um, there's also other, other benefits of it. Um, pacing skills, um, being able to develop that, uh, that perception of your pace. Sometimes if you don't push yourself to that level, your perception slips, it's a, you know, perceived effort drift kind of gets easier and easier. 
So, but what, where I'd challenge or kind of change that scenario a little bit is a lot of people say, oh, my assessment hadn't changed that much. Um, but that's just a lie. That's just an excuse. They just don't want to do the effort. <laughs> so they tell themselves, um, and that comes from, you know, some athletes, um, you aggressive, they look forward to that. It's like taking a test. If you're a smart kid, it's where you show off, you know, that's your thing. And some athletes have that experience, that attitude toward it, which is great, but others don't. And they have a lot well, of, a lot of people enjoy the challenge of assessment yeah, week. And yeah. a lot of, but a lot of, a lot of others have anxiety and oh, I don't want to fail. I want to improve. And what if I haven't improved? Then all this is for nothing, you know? And so don't entertain that self-talk that's bad self-talk so there's mental skills that go along with that and i would encourage athletes to do that to to visualize doing success there's a lot of visual training mental skills um, that are very important to you know if there's a negative thought about it don't let it stay in your head push it out if it's not helping you push it out put something else in its place get some things that are ready uh, to replace it you know i'm going to do this i'm going to do great i'm going to be consistent you know at different times of your training phase like john was talking about earlier as you're you know winding up your stamina getting for a, a half or a full ironman um your your run that's not going to go up you want to keep it there because you're building something else you're putting all of your energy into holding a percent of that for a longer period of time but you don't want that threshold to drop by not doing the assessments yeah. not doing the work because now you're going to do be doing that percentage of a lower number so that long tent pole you're you're uh, functional threshold you want to keep it up and then you want to develop that that toughness that grit that he was also talking about earlier and then i think we said in the military um you've heard it i'm sure embrace the suck and so it's realizing oh, my father says that all the time that's <laughs> so one of his favorite it's things suck, to say and you gotta just embrace it think associate the the pain um and that pushing it hard with the results you know triathlon's not for sissies if you want to do a sissy sport go <laughs> do golf or something else i'm looking at john right now he's a great golfer john's a big time golfer um, but he's not a sissy uh anyway so you he's know, only a sissy when he golfs right so just you know whatever <laughs> saying um is meaningful to you embrace the suck you know suck it up buttercup i tell our junior team that you know with a smile and laughing it's just a push it realize it's supposed to be that way this is triathlon you could have picked any sport you want this is a triathlon you know, it's one, that's why you cross the finish line at these races and it's significant. It's why people go, wow, you did that. Oh my gosh, because it's, it's pushing yourself and that's the inherent nature of the sport. So, you know, treat that like it's a mini race, like it's a mini competition. Um, get your head, your self-talk, right, positive, constructive, and go into it and just see what you can do. So John, ass assessment days are no doubt tough sessions. You know, we, we got to embrace the suck a little bit on them to, to, to grit our teeth and, and get through it. And, you know, so maybe to close us out today, you know, Jeff just great, gave us a great word on on why to do that, how to do that. Uh, but but what advice do maybe you have to encourage athletes to do their best on those assessment days? It, it really mirrors what he said. It's it's use them as motivation. Um, it's look forward to it and approach it like a race. Uh, oftentimes, um, you versus you. Yeah, exactly. You or you versus you from a month ago. Yeah, you versus old you and see, see who's better, who's stronger. Um, oftentimes we'll go long periods between races and uh, your, your next race may be six, nine months away. Um, so what keeps you motivated? And oftentimes it's hard to really focus and work towards that race that is so far out there that you can't see it. Well, these assessments are a great opportunity for very um, immediate goals, immediate ambitions. And, yeah. and even Jeff mentioned, um, sometimes athletes get nervous headed into assessment week. That's actually something I hear fairly common from athletes is, oh, I was nervous. Said, well, great, because you're going to be nervous on race day. You're going to be nervous in those days leading into the just race. Just letting you practice handling all those emotions. Exactly. So just like we want to dial in uh, intensity and pacing for race day, it's important to learn how do you deal with those quote-unquote pre-race nerves. Well, you're going to deal with the pre-race nerves the same way you deal with the pre-assessment nerves. So um, it's building confidence. It's knowing um, what you're capable of and, and proving that to yourself over and over. And, um, so let them be motivational, let them be fun, um, enjoy those, those gains. And, you know, chances are, uh, you may be the only one there at the finish line. There's not going to be Mike Riley or the big crowd, uh, cheering you home, but still celebrate those wins and, uh, uh, let it, let it be fun. It's, it's not, uh, not anything to, to dread, but uh, something to, to celebrate your, your gains that you've made over the last several weeks. So you can take a, take a boom box out to the track, throw <laughs> on the uh, Rocky theme song, Absolutely. and uh, just pound out a 5K with, with your bad self and Absolutely. see where it goes. Yep. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down. For today's cool down, I am super pleased to introduce a new segment that we call the Tridot Bookshelf. 
While we are recovering from all that training and racing, many of us love turning to a new book to read as we relax and recharge. I've always liked reading, but I, I got to say, and this, this is just a, just a selfish plug for Kindle. All right, they're, they're not paying me to say this. I, I got a Kindle, and it changed the game for me on how quickly I go through books and how easily I can look into finding my next read. Uh, but that's also where my Trotot coaches can help. So guys, for our cooldown today, you know, if, if you can each just kind of give me, you know, may, maybe a, a hot tip on a, a great book to read, uh, that there's a lot of great endurance sports, uh, multi-sport kind of books out there that are great reads. Uh, so, so what's one that you can recommend for, uh, for me and for our listeners to check out as maybe their next go-to book? Uh, Jeff, what do you think? Yeah, well, I'd, I guess the first one that comes to mind, just because I mentioned it earlier, is that Daniel's Running Formula. Uh, that's just one that was really pivotal in my thinking of my approach, uh, not just to running. Jack Daniels, the founder of yes. uh, the V dot, and not yes. the founder of the Kentucky uh, Jack Daniels Kentucky Bourbon. No, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's just his methodical approach to it, um, creating standards um, from which you could, you know, uh, work with athletes and have just a known basis for decision making and evaluating progress. So I thought that was really great. So give him props. Um, you know, everything that we do today is. Um, just realize it's built on the back and the shoulders of someone that came before someone that, that yeah. you know, put an idea in someone's head and you, you know, advance the ball as best you can. And, and we're doing that in our own way. And so I just like to, you know, give him a shout out for that. that Thanks great Jack book. Daniels. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> John, what about you? What's, what's a, a go-to book that uh, people should check out? So one that I've, I've used, uh, for, for a number of years, um, little less technical than than Jack Daniels it's it's more of a, a story which is great it's called you are an Iron Man it's by Jacques Steinberg it's it's older um, now but the time the story is kind of timeless and it's uh, just a story of six normal people just like the rest of us preparing uh, for Iron Man and it goes through their uh, their story um, probably takes about a year. Uh, to, to read, read. through, uh, no, uh, <laughs> it depends on, no. on how much you read, but four it, times it's, thicker uh, than war and peace. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's, it's their, their year leading up into their, their first Ironman and some of the, the things they encounter, uh, which are, are real common stories, but, uh, it's just kind of interesting to see these six people and, and what they experienced as they prepared for Ironman and what they experienced on a race day. So it's great for uh, those coming up for their first, you know, some great insight as to things that they might experience. And uh, just a, just an interesting read. You are an Ironman. No, that's great. I have not read that one. So I will I will add both of those. Um, as you come up to, to your first Ironman. As I come up to my first Ironman. I, I, and, and so that that's actually a great segue into mine because I... I I kind of purposely, the first time we debuted this segment, I, I didn't want to go with something that was like a straight up Ironman triathlon book. I wanted to, you know, kind of pull something from the endurance sport sphere that might be different from what you guys are saying. But the more I thought about it, the more I could not depart from Mike Riley finding my voice. Uh, he's the voice of Ironman. We all know him and love him. Uh, he's the one that calls so many people, you know, thousands and thousands of people across the finish line every single year. And I, w I was flying to... Uh, a kind of destination half Ironman. Uh, my, my wife and I were going to vacation, not got a half Ironman in, in a foreign country. And on the flight, uh, Mike Riley had just put out this book. And I was like, oh, that would be a perfect book to read on my way to do this half Ironman. And I admittedly, like, I love doing half Ironman. Um, I never considered doing a full Ironman. I was always the one who was like, oh, I, I, don't, I just don't want to be on a race course for that many hours. I just don't. I'm never going to do one. I'm, I'm perfectly content in my nice little bubble flying to exotic uh, 70.3s. And I read that book on the plane, and it, it on just— On Kindle. On my Kindle. Yeah, on my, on my Kindle uh, white page, whatever it's called. And I, I just—he he just goes through—he he, kind of goes through his own story of how he became the voice of Iron Man— and just kind of opens up on on that how he kind of went from being a racer to to the the MC. Uh, he kind of walks you through kind of how he approaches that job, which for me as a media professional was super interesting. Uh, but then he also just shares a ton of great stories of just athletes over the years that he's had the privilege of calling to the finish line. And you you can't read these people's stories and not get fired up to do an Ironman. And so mm -hmm. by the time we landed in, in the back of my head, I was like, dang it, Mike! Like. <laughs> 
you, so you, you, needs you, a disclaimer. Yeah, you just you totally just uh, you totally just kind of busted my bubble. I was perfectly happy just doing seventy point three. This book, this book will cost you a seven hundred dollar entry fee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that fifteen dollar book or, or whatever it was. But um, so yeah, so shout out to Mike Riley wherever he's at right now. Uh, I don't know if he'll be the one at Ironman Texas this year doing doing the calling. And if he is great, if he's not great, yeah, he's usually there. So is he usually there? Yeah. Um, so so he he was he was the one with that. And, and they they when you register, they they kind of ask you for for notes. Right on, like, hey, is there anything unique about you? Anything different about you? Anything special we should know? And so I, I don't know if they'll mention it. I'm sure other people will say this, but I literally wrote down, like, I signed up for this race because I read Mike Riley's book, <laughs> and uh, and so shout out to him for that. I'm I'm excited about the opportunity. I'm and I'm more excited to go back to my career of doing 70.3s when it's all said and done. So we'll see. Uh, but really, really great book. So I, I I recommend that all of you guys. I'm officially adding it to the Tried Out Bookshelf. We're adding all three of these and the recommendations for you guys to check out when you're uh, looking for your next read. Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Tridot founder Jeff Booer and coach John Mayfield for inspiring us to give it our all on assessment weeks. Shout out to our friends at Tritats for partnering with us on today's show. Tritats are the perfect way to show up for your first triathlon already styling like a pro. Make your mark by heading to tritats.com and using our special code TRIDOT to place your first order. Enjoying the podcast? Have any triathlon questions or topics you want to hear us talk about? Head to tridot.com slash podcast and let us know what you're thinking. We'll do it again soon. Until then, happy training. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the Tridot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to tridot.com and start your free trial today. Tri-Dot, the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.